Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. In today's episode, you meet Sharina May Edwards, a partner at Corals and Brady LLP. She focuses her practice on electric reliability, water, natural gas, and critical infrastructure issues. Prior to joining the firm, Sharina served a five-year term on the Illinois Commerce Commission, making her the youngest commissioner ever appointed in the state of Illinois. Sharina is a champion for diversity and inclusion, and in September of 2014, founded the Women's Energy Summit as an annual forum for select women across the nation to discuss pertinent issues in the energy industry, highlight accomplishments, uplift rising stars, and break down barriers. In 2015, she co-founded the Chicago chapter of the Women's Energy Network. Most recently, Sharina was selected as a 2017 Eisenhower Fellow. In this capacity, she serves as an ambassador for the United States in South Africa and Australia, met with leading experts in the energy field, and learned more about the shift of renewable energy. Um, Sharina is a member of the Great Leadership of Greater Chicago Fellowship Class of 2015 in a Lakeshore chapter and a member of the Lakeshore chapter of the Lynx Incorporated. Sharina also is a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated and is on the National Executive Board. I met Sharina when she participated in a mentorship program that I hosted through the sky and I was immediately impressed by her. And once you listen to this episode, you will see why. So enjoy this interview with Sharina. Sharina, thank you again so much for deciding to be on the podcast today. No problem. I'm really excited about it. Um, So looking at your your resume, you've done a lot of phenomenal things. I know a bit about your story. But thinking back, how did you get into corporate America? How did I get into corporate America? Well, my journey in corporate America, I guess I would say, started in 2008 when I graduated from law school, and I started as a corporate lawyer um, at a firm in Chicago. And uh, honestly, the way that I got there, you know, to a large law firm, particularly being um, a black woman, because they really are, um, there aren't many of us in uh, corporate law. I would say I just worked really hard in law school. I knew that I, I always knew I wanted to go to a large law firm, and I went to Spelman College for undergrad and went right into law school at Howard and um, was really focused on just doing really well. And I was told, if you're going to go to Howard Law School, which is not a top-tier law school at all, but if you're going to go to Howard Law School, you need to be in at least the top 10% to be considered by one of these large firms. And I just worked really, really, really hard and, and tried to do that, and I was r- successful. So um, my first job was at, a, like I said, a big law firm in Chicago, and I started uh, doing securities litigation, and that's kind of what opened the door for me to corporate America. Now, how did you decide that you even wanted to be a lawyer? Do you come from a family of lawyers, of profess- like professionals? You know, I don't, and I don't have uh, – I'm the first lawyer in my family, and I think for me – I. Early on, I knew that I, um, I think it was just honestly, I think it started when I would watch the Cosby show, and I thought that the, you know, matriarch of the family, Claire Huxwell, was just this amazing, strong woman, and I know that she was a lawyer, and I think that's where it kind of popped into my head, like, I want to be like that, you know, mm. and then, um, when I was at Spelman, I did a couple of internships that were law-based, and that's when, what solidified it for me, that, yeah, this is something I want to do. Mm. Um, And you talked about, you know, your first job post-law school as a corporate lawyer. Do you remember if it was, like, very diverse? Were there other black women? Were there lots of black people when you entered? 
No, not at all. And if there is a job in corporate America where there are lots of black people, let me know and I'll sign up because <laughs> I have not seen it yet. <laughs> but, um, you know, no. The firm that I started at um, was Kat and Misha and Rosamond, and it was – uh, they were they were working on diversity at the time. They had um, I think just probably established a role of chief, chief diversity officer, and there was a phenomenal woman in that role, and she's still in that role today. And, you know, Catton was really working on it. They were striving to improve their diversity, but it was one of those things that where they would get black people in, they had a hard time retaining them. And I think mm. that, you know, is, is one of the biggest issues kind of in corporate America. It's not necessarily the recruiting, but the retention is really the really difficult part, right? Because if people get to a place and they see that there's no one successful that looks like them, well, then why are they going to stay? It then becomes mm. a revolving door. Mm. So, um, so, no, at the time when I got to the firm, I think – Black people definitely were less than 1% by far. Mm. So as someone who doesn't necessarily come from a family that's very corporate, you're in an environment with a lot of people who don't look like you, and we get the, you know, the advice or the, the talking to the, you need mentors, right? So how do you then mm-hmm. find someone to help you navigate this space, like someone who has a shared experience? Did you find mentors? You know what? Um, a significant blessing for me is that when I was interviewing for um, my summer associate position, which is what leads to your offer after law school, I um, met and really just clicked very well with um, the hiring partner. And she she's the one who came to um, the firm to kind of do interviews and I met her throughout the interview process, and she was just fantastic, and she really did take me under her wing when I started at the firm. She made sure that I was staffed on good cases, that I was meeting really good people, and that's for me how it started. And I think for her, I mean, she was this very busy, you know, dynamic woman, but I think for her, she she wanted to mentor me, but I also was made it very easy, I think. And I think people don't get that, like the onus that's on the mentee and the work that the mentee has to do. You know, you're really you really have to make sure that you're mentorable and that it's somebody it's it's worth for someone to spend and invest their time in you. And I think that that is what, and even talking to her today, she kind of said, you know, you did that for me. Like I would, I knew that she was interested in a particular type of law when I would find articles, I'd like, bring them to her and say, hey, look, I found this, and you're working on this, and things like that, right, that kind of made it a mutually beneficial relationship. And I think mentees oftentimes kind of think it's all about people pouring into them, but it really does have to be reciprocal. Mm, and learning. And I think we, we touched on this a little bit um, in our the event yesterday. It's like, you know, it's not a one-way relationship, right? Nobody wants to feel like they're mm-hmm. being used. And so figuring out right. ways that you can add value. And But I think the misconception is I'm so junior, what value do I have? What can I do? That's right. That's absolutely right. And there's so much, though. Like, I have, um, even now, I, I have a, a ton of mentees, particularly one that worked with me in a variety of places, and I've just continued to bring her along because she's that phenomenal. But um, she's here with me now at my current firm, and she is just constantly 10 steps ahead of me and thinking, what can I do to help her? And it makes it very easy. I mean, I mentor people all the time. I don't have to get anything from it, but it makes it just feel really good when you know that this person, even if they can't necessarily provide you what you can provide them, and in most cases they can't, right? They don't have the necessarily the influence or the power, but when they're just thinking about you and thinking about things that they do to help you and making sure that you are your best, I think that there's it, a lot of it is just it's it's not anything that's necessarily like tangential, right? You don't have to be able to like touch it or feel it. It's just knowing that they are constantly thinking about you as well. Got it. Um, 
And looking at your uh, kind of your career journey, like you've had some amazing experiences. How have you known when it's been time for you to like move on, right? You're not at the law firm that you started at. You're at a different law firm now and you've done some phenomenal things in between. But for you, how do you know when it's time? Well, first and foremost, and a mentor taught me this a while ago, you leave when you're on top. And I think that's really difficult for people to do because you tend to want to stay where you're like, you know, having a great time and you're in your element and things are good. But the alternative is leaving when you're, you know, not so good and you're not kind of on the up and up and that's what people remember. So I always felt like there were certain things I wanted to achieve and in achieving those things and thinking, wow, like I'm in a really good place. I think that's when it, for me, I'm like, okay, I'm mastering this. It's time to move to the next thing and get another challenge. Mm-hmm. But I know that's difficult for people because people tend to like to ride the good wave. Right. But for me, I'm like, okay, I want people, somebody always, somebody said to me, you always leave when your name is coming out of someone's mouth in a positive manner. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you're riding that wave and you're at the peak of it, that's when it's time to move on. Mm. Yeah. Because you want to leave them with a good impression. Exactly. Mm. Yep. And for you, um, how has networking played a role in where you've ended up career-wise? I think everyone says, you need to network, you need to network, but I don't think we really know what that means or understand like the value of what we're supposed to be even be doing with the network. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say, and I know this is not, I've not coined this term, but I always say your network is your net worth. Mm-hmm. And to me, it has just proved itself like over and over and over again. Um, meeting people with no, it's, I say with a purpose, but with no, um, what should I say? I would say you're, you're meeting people with a purpose, but at the same time with like, no intent. You you don't want to make people feel like you're looking for something from them, right? It's connecting with people who you feel like, wow, there's some kind of connection here, whether it's because we're both in the same field or both in the same industry, we both have the same likes, you know, that type of thing. And then it's kind of figuring out after you form the relationship, okay, maybe how can we now help each other? Mm. Um, Networking, someone should never go into networking thinking, how can this person help me? It is reciprocal. It is a reciprocal relationship. And I think that's where people get confused, right? They'll go to an event and they also don't put passion into it. They'll plaster out a bunch of their cards and they don't do any follow-up. There was no like method to their madness of just kind of who they're going to distribute their card to. It's just kind of like, okay, I did it. I'm, I'm home now. Okay, I did it. But there was no purpose behind that. And there was really no focus behind that. Mm-hmm. I think that when you are connecting with people who you have some similarity with, and not only is there a potential for them to be able to assist you, but you can also assist them in some way, shape, or form, no matter what level it is, right, what level you are, whether if there's an even playing field or not, you can always bring something to the table. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that is the strategy behind it, right, trying to figure out how do we connect. Now, if you're going to meet someone, like if I'm talking to someone for a few minutes, it's clear that we have no connection. Like there's just no, what do you want to call it, love connection or whatever it is. There's no connection there at all. I'm probably not going to say this is the person I want to connect with, even if they're like the president of whatever. Mm. It doesn't make sense. There's no connection. You have to establish that genuine connection first, and then I think everything will follow. And that has worked very well for me. Um, And I remember you telling the story uh, when we first met about how you um, became the commissioner of the Illinois Commerce Mm -hmm. Um, commission and I feel like it's a testament to like your network um so can you share a little bit about how that came about 
Sure. And I'll, the long, it's a long story, but the short of it is that I was, um, I received a phone call from the governor's chief of staff back in 2013, um, basically saying, you know, we have this position, the governor, right? Somebody um, reached out to the governor and recommended you, and he's very interested in you. I, I knew nothing about energy or utilities at the time. I did meet with them and um, was not really open to it, just really wanted to focus on my career at the firm. I wanted to make partner, and I had this, like, plan and dream, and I was not going to deviate from it by any means. <laughs> and um, and speaking, and again, it goes back to mentors, and speaking to mentors, they were saying to me, this is a huge career move. You cannot leave this on the table. Like, this is something you have to do. And what was fascinating, and obviously I did end up taking the job, it has been life-changing, career-changing, opportunity-changing, everything that you can think of. But what was what strikes me the most is that the person who recommended me for the job wanted to remain anonymous. And that was interesting to me because I'm thinking, wow, here's this person who's given me the best gift ever, right, and I can't thank them. And in a position of, you know, when you think about politics and power, most people would be dying for you to know who they were so that they could somehow reap something, right, from mm. some benefit from what you were doing. Um, but this person never wanted to um, – never wanted me to know who it was. And the governor said, it's somebody who worked with you in some capacity and thought that you were a shining star. And that brings me to my next point that I always say, dance like no one is watching. You don't just dance when you think somebody is looking, right? You don't just want to do your best when you think somebody who has the potential to help you is looking at you. You want to do it all the time because you never know who is looking and when. Mm -hmm. And this, to me, is a testament to that. Somebody was watching me when I didn't know that they were, and they said, wow. She is, I'm impressed with her enough to recommend her to the governor for a position that I know that she has no background in, but has the capability and will do the work to get where she needs to be. Mm. And that is kind of a quick story on how I got to be a commissioner. Yeah, that is like so many gems already. But I think the next question would be like, what gave you the confidence to feel like you could do the job, right? Because eventually you accepted it. But I think a lot of times people are scared, right, to take on that new opportunity because at that level, you're failing in front of a lot of people, right? The governor's mm-hmm. office calls you, right? So if, if you fail, you're failing pretty big or if you make a mistake. So what gave mm-hmm. you the the confidence to say, yes, let me take on this new challenge? Again, you know, I went back to my mentors who said, you can do this. We'll make sure that you um, – We'll make sure that you succeed in this. And and really a lot of it was what I needed to do. I knew that it was going to take a lot of my time, right, and energy, um, blood, sweat, and tears to really learn this, but I wanted to do it. I said, okay, if I'm going to do it, I'm not going to half-ass it. I'm going to go in. And, and even though I didn't know who this person was who recommended me, I thought enough of them to say I'm not going to embarrass them, so I'm mm. going to, you know, get on my A game. I went to, I mean, I did so many um webinars and CLEs and studied. Literally, I felt like I was studying for the bar all over again. I was trying to learn (laughs) this industry. And uh, I made it my business to do that. When I wasn't, you know, working, I was trying to learn it. So um, that, to me, again, it was mentors pushing me saying, you can do this. Mm -hmm. And it was me saying, I don't want to make this, I don't want to embarrass this person. I want to make them proud. They don't want me to know who I am, but that's, that's okay. But I am going to make you proud. And because they're probably still watching, right? So they were watching before and now that they've recommended you and you've gotten the job, you know that they're watching. That's right. Yep. Um, Can you think of a time where maybe not right now, but during the course of your career where you made a mistake and you thought like, oh yeah, this is, this is it. But it actually turned out to be something that helped with your development. 
like 50 times. <laughs> um, I make mistakes all the time, and I still make mistakes. When I was a commissioner, I made a number of mistakes, and I would always tell my staff, look, this, and I would try to make an example of it because you don't want, you should never be in a place where you're, you feel you're too good to make mistakes. You're never that person. And if that's the case, you're never learning, right? So I would always want to kind of point out, like, look, this is what happened. Now we got to fix this, um, and, and I'm, this is what we're learning from it. This is what I'm learning from it. But one particular thing where I thought my legal career was over, you know, when you're a younger associate at a large firm, you tend to, like, freak out about things that, in hindsight, you're like, really? What was that about? But um, it was something simple. I was I was working on a filing for a partner, and the partner had to go out of town. And I, he's like, okay, well, you're going to finish it up and get it filed. It was like a major client. And um, I think I either – I think I filed it with the wrong – like I, I – attached like the wrong attachment, like the wrong exhibit um, to the filing, which was like, to me, it was like literally a life or death thing. Now in hindsight, I mean, I went back and we had to like redact it and like, you know, reattach it. The partner was not very happy. The partner was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? You're showing everybody that we don't know what we're doing. Mm. But for me, it may, I was so stressed about trying to be so like detail oriented and get it done. And I wanted to get it done. You know, the, the filing needed to be filed by, I think, like 5 p.m., and I wanted to get it. Like I was like, I'm going to do this by 4:30. I'm going to impress the partner. I'm going to do it by 4:30. And at like 4:27, I was literally scrambling. And it was so ridiculous. The deadline was five. I put all this pressure on myself to get it done by 4:30. And had I just taken the time to get it done on time by five, I would have caught that mistake. And it just goes to show you, you know, take your time and do it right. Don't try to rush and put these ridiculous demands on yourself. Because what's more important, and in that situation, it was more important to get it right than to get it done 30 minutes early and have it be wrong, which it was. Mm. Um, And we talk about a little bit about, you know, corporate law, right? I feel like if there's any, um, outside of finance, corporate lawyers, like it's a very specific culture. (laughs) Um, And we get Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, narratives around being your whole authentic self and, you know, being able to show up. And in certain spaces, more, depending on what your authentic self is, it's a little bit more acceptable. So have you gotten to the Mm -hmm. place in your career where you feel like you can be your whole authentic self at work? And how did you get there if you are there? Um, I think I may be like, yeah, I think I'm pretty authentic now. I think I'm, I'm, I'm at least 95% authentic. And I think that, um, that's probably as much as I will be, but, um, I, I do feel pretty authentic. And I think it's come honestly, from a lot of like working and time kind of like spending time in my profession and spending time really um, honing my skills. I think I am particularly having been on the only commerce commission um, at such a young age and kind of doing, you know, making some significant changes and having some significant accomplishments while I was there. I think I've gained the respect of a lot of people and a lot of key, key important people in the energy industry. And I think that that, allows me to be authentic, right? I think I've kind of proved myself. I've shown people, you know, I, I was kind of, people were like, who is this girl? Like, this is a position that is highly sought. This is a position that is usually lobbied for for years. And there's brand new girl, you know, young black woman who has no background whatsoever in energy. Here she's coming and she's going to know nothing and she's going to be like a dead weight. And I made it my business to learn it and I learned it fast. Mm. I think that by but followed by some of the, like I said, significant initiatives that I led, um, 
gained a lot of respect for myself, and I think that is why I'm able to be authentic because people, I have, res- I have I've, I've earned the respect of a lot of people. Hmm. So what would you say to a young black girl who's like, you know, there is no place for corporate. I can't wear my hair the way that I want. I can't, you know, mm-hmm. talk the way I want. Like, what would you say to that girl? I think it depends, honestly, on how important that is to you. Like, I have a good friend who just started at a very tech-savvy um, company. They focus a lot. The majority of their workforce um, are millennials, and they focus a lot on kind of pleasing the millennials so they can get good work product from them, right? And so for her, she was super excited. She's like, I went from this corporate America gig where I couldn't, you know, I felt like she said, during my interview, I wore fake glasses to look smart. She said, but on the first day of this new, you know, role, she's like, I wore a head wrap. You know what I mean? Like, it's all about being my authentic self. I think for her, she felt like corporate America was not her. She felt like that was not what she, she wasn't being herself at all. And that was significantly important for her. I think if you feel like, if you're that person and you feel like I'm going to be miserable if I can't be myself, like, hell, it's really important for me to be able to wear a head wrap to work, you know, then I think that you have to make that decision up front. Like, which kind of person are you? Are you? Can you deal with some of the BS and just do good work and eventually get to where you want to be? And then if yes, then I think you can probably stick out corporate America and be okay with knowing that some things that you really want to do just may not be appreciated and accepted. Or you say, okay, you know what, I'm going to go the other route. Because now, unlike many years ago, now there are other options. Now there are, you know, firms and and places that do very sophisticated work that do appreciate this identity that has now come about as being okay. And I think that there are now other options. So you just need to decide what is it that I want to do and, and go do it. Um, talking about, you know, communication. Has your communication style changed the more senior that you've gotten? I know that we all know the stereotypes about, you know, trying to avoid being the angry black woman and, and you know, how if you're not as, um, not soft, because I don't think soft is the word, but, you know, depending on your delivery being more direct, right? Has that changed over the course of your career as you've gotten more senior? Absolutely, absolutely. I think now, um, and I, I learned, I did a lot of learning. It was a five-year term with the commission, and I learned a lot then, and I got to work on myself quite a bit. Um, I definitely think that I have probably toned down, and even for me, when, even if I'm like, oh, that doesn't seem aggressive, but in comparison to what other people may, uh, you know, um, how they may receive it, it can be, right? So I do try to tone it down, and it's very important to me to not be like that black person, like to not to not always be the one, who, you know, you have to pick your battles, right? You have to decide. This is a diversity issue, but do you need to be the person addressing the diversity issue every single time? I think that you, I, it has made me kind of pause a little bit and decide, okay, this is what I'm going to, for, you know, when I'm going to go full steam ahead, people are going to know it because I don't do it all the time. They're going to know there's an issue that is crucially important to me because I don't do it for every single issue. I think you have to pick your battles, and I think that as far as communicating, you do. You don't have to get all riled up all the time, and I've learned that, and I've learned that I'm received in a much better way when I'm not because mm. people are more comfortable. Mm. Um, looking over your career, can you think of a time where maybe you felt stuck in a position or a role and what you did to get unstuck? I think a lot of what the feedback that we get is, you know, I, I'm in this job and I feel stuck. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do next. So thinking about a time where you may have felt stuck and what you did to get unstuck. Um, 
Uh, when I was at my first firm, I did start to feel stuck. I, my mentor um, left. A lot of them actually left the firm. And I just was starting to feel like, wow, I don't have a support system here. And I think that that's crucially important. I think that you have to have, um, I think no matter who you are, particularly as a woman, but most definitely as a black woman, you've got to have a team of supporters wherever you are, right, if you're going to be successful. And mine, really a lot of them left. And um kind of was starting to feel like, wow, I don't have these advocates here anymore. I was starting to feel like closed in and not getting the best work and not dealing with the best people. And so I said, okay, I'm going to just start looking. And I did. And that's a big thing. Like I said, most people do get comfortable and they want to stay. Um, but I was like, nothing good is going to come from this. Like it's time to move on. Mm. And, you know, it took a bit of time to like say, okay, wow, I'm going to take the time to like do my resume and to network. And I networked the hell out of like almost every organization that I was in, and that's ultimately how I found my next job. Mm. So, um, you know, again, I think everybody's stuck is different, and everybody's um, tolerance, level of tolerance for being stuck is different as well, but I do feel like you have to put a plan in place, and again, it goes back to the mentors and the sponsors and the networking that is just key, I think, in getting unstuck. Mm. So you talked a little bit about obviously you're not at the commissioner's office anymore, but you talked about the, like, the learning and the things that you did and doing webinars. What do you think outside of your education, like so your law degree and undergrad, what's the best investment that you've made in your professional development? Hmm. The best investment, I would say... And I think it's a series of things. So I'm that person, and you can't really tell people to do this because it can be awkward, particularly if you're in a work environment. But I'm that person who will, like, pay out of my own pocket to attend a conference if I think that it will – I truly, like, literally invest in my career. If I feel like it's going to be good and I can't get – you know, I'm too junior for the firm to do it or I'm, you know, wasn't – you know, couldn't get the funds from the wherever, I would put my money there and pay for it and, and – you know, see how it turned out. And I think that just, that's not necessarily one specific thing, but it's things like that that I think have really allowed me to get where I am. And undoubtedly, I'm convinced that that is probably uh, one of those types of things is where I met this phenomenal person who, who, you know, recommended me to the governor. Um, And since being on the commission, there have been a series of things. I mean, I, um, just an example, I'm now on a corporate board and, um, what do you know, like people work like for years to try to lobby their way onto a corporate board. That's phenomenal. Well, thank you. It's, it's truly exciting. I love it. I'm learning again out of my element, learning so much. It's a national construction company and they primarily service the electric and gas industries. It's called Intran. And they, I've learned so much just from a finance cause I'm a lawyer, right? So I, don't have the strongest finance background, but I've learned so much, and I've gone, and I've, like, said, okay, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to, I'm actually going to take a finance class um, just so I can make sure that I'm kind of, like, on my A game. The, the, there's a former um, CFO of a, a major company on the board with me, and she's just brilliant, and I'm like, she's great. I'm like, but I want to be her peer. I don't want to be, you know, feel like I am kind of like stumbling over the numbers when she's like on it. And I want to, you know, that's the kind of person I am. So again, it's about investing in myself. But I brought up that to say, the reason I believe that I was asked, I got a phone call from the CEO um, to ask me if I would, you know, consider they were looking for um, another director and to ask me if I would consider it. Uh, And I think she said was 
she's like, you know what? I remember when we first met, and she's like, I thought you were so impressive. She said, and, you know, we were having a series. We were just having, I guess, some ser- a series of lunches. I didn't know at the time. I, I looked at her as just like, oh, a mentor, but she truly was a sponsor of mine. Um, and she's like, I think this girl is going somewhere. She said, you would take the time to I'd ask you some things about kind of the energy industry. She said, you would always take the time to explain to me and kind of give me your thoughts on it. She's like, and I think that was significant. And she goes, and that is what put you on the map for me. And I, again, it's, I can't tell you how much this dancing while no one is watching is, is just, to me, it's been the impetus of almost every success that I've had. It's bringing your A game all of the time. And I think as a black woman, honestly, I mean, do we ever have a choice but to do that? But really just making sure that you're on it. Like, so that means, because I know we've all signed up for those, like, you know, boards or events where you are phoning it in. I know I'm on um, a board now, and there's just one woman. I mean, she's she's literally, I wouldn't even, I don't even know if I could say like that she's half bringing it. She's probably like one-eighth of bringing it. And it's it's frustrating to the rest of the board because you truly are the dead weight. And I was asked um, a couple of weeks ago by someone, not the board that I'm on, but another board, you know, we're looking for a woman who has this background, who is a minority, who is this, I mean, this, this particular woman fit it in every sense of the word, but because she is so um, unimpressive on the nonprofit board that I work on with her, I would never recommend her. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I think that it is, it's so important to honestly, like, only put your name on things that you have time to. And I turn things down all the time. Great opportunities. I mean, I was invited a couple of months ago to go to Dubai to do this. And I said, I can't right now. Like, I am building this practice. I just had a baby. I can't. And it's okay to say no sometimes. And Did I want to go to Dubai? Of course I did. But I just couldn't do it. It's mm-hmm. okay to say no. I'd rather say no and execute fully on my other responsibilities and say yes and have to do it and then have people be that person. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think yep. we do that a lot. Mm. And you just mentioned, we'll get to the family stuff in a little bit, but you just mentioned that, you know, you're building a practice. What are three skills that you have had to develop over the course of your career that you feel have prepared you to be successful in your current role as partner at your firm? Um, attention to detail. I can't tell you how many, you think that's something that everybody does, but they just don't. Um, having significant attention to detail. I don't think I was good at it in my first term. I don't think that I was always, again, I would try to rush and get things done. I was, it was all about what's fastest. And I learned that that just doesn't work. Um, but having attention to detail, um, that's one thing. Strategic and being, being strategic and having a good strategy. That just kind of, for me, spans like my whole life, like across the board. I couldn't get everything done without being strategic. And it's kind of thinking ahead, thinking outside the box, being innovative. That is something that I think a lot of people don't, they're not creative with their solutions. It's always like black and white. This is how we've always done it. But I think the most successful people bring that strategy to the table. Mm. And I think it sets you apart from a lot of other people because everybody just doesn't have that skill. And then the third thing um, learning how to say no. Mm. That was a tough one, but it is what keeps me sane, and it's what makes me, I think, successful. It's why I can say yes. I saw um, a quote on LinkedIn yesterday, and it said, say no to the good so that you can say yes to the best, mm. and that's so true. Mm. Like that Dubai thing. That was saying no to the good. That was a great opportunity, right? So I said no to the good. 
um, and I know something amazing is coming down the pike that I can be able to say yes to. Like, that's just how it works. But you have to learn to say no. And we've talked about, you know, you are an ambitious woman, um, and but you also have a whole husband and a whole child now. Um, how did you think mm-hmm. about how having a family would impact your career options? No, I didn't. I um, I knew, though, and I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, I never really thought that I really wanted to get married. That was not me. And nor do I pretend that was ever me. I always wanted to get married. And I always wanted to have a family. I hear people say that, and I'm like, really? Gosh, yeah. that was just never me. Yeah, people are but, like, you um, know, if I get married, fine. If I don't, that's okay, too. Yeah, and good for them. But that was just absolutely not me. I'm not even going to pretend. That was nowhere near me. So um, I, you know, knew that I wanted it. But I also was focused on my career. And I was, I also kind of just knew, I'm like, this will happen eventually. Do you know what I mean? And for me, it all happened like kind of quickly. But, um, and what's interesting is that both my personal life and my professional career life were kind of ascending at the same time, right? So I was kind of, you know, I just, right when I got the appointment to the commission, that's right also when I met my now husband and then, um, it was always something like, you know, right when I got, I think engaged was kind of like this other big thing that was happening. Um, right when I got married, I was appointed by President Obama to this major, you know, um, role in the energy. So it's, it was always something, right? I started my current job as a partner at the law firm when I was eight months pregnant. So it's always what? been like, it's been boom, boom. I know it's crazy. Boom, 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 boom on both sides. And luckily, and I think what is most important, and this was back when I was dating that it was crucially important is that you have to find someone, number one, who has their own life. Like you cannot have, it's good to have someone who's all into you. My husband is all into me, but he has his own life. And that's important. Like I couldn't, I couldn't be the person that has someone that's like looking at the watch. Like when will you be home? Oh, you have another evening event. Oh no. I have someone who has his own career. He has his own life. He has his own friends. You know, we have obviously now have cross pollinated the friendship circle, but still it's important that like, He's doing, like, you know, on Sundays, they have their football thing. That's fine. Like, I, I have my thing, too. It's important. That was important for me, mm. to have the support. I mean, my husband supports me in everything that I do. Like, I just got back last night from Barcelona uh, where I was speaking. It was a really big deal. It's the largest um, global gas, natural gas conference. And I was asked to be the opening keynote speaker, which, by the way, last year the First Lady of Japan was that. So it was, what? like, a really big deal. That is amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. I, oh, thank you. And I was freaking out, like, oh, my God, I have this baby. Like, I can't leave. And he was like, are you kidding me? He's like, this is the one of the best opportunities that you will ever, you know, be presented with probably. He's like, it's huge. He's like, go. It'll be a quick trip. I went for it literally for three days. And that included travel. So I was probably mm. in Spain for all of 48 hours. But I was not going to be away from my baby longer than that. And I went and I, I thought I brought it with the speech. I did. I, it's one of those things that like came, saw, conquered. I left. So, and having a husband who was okay and not only okay, but pushed me and encouraged me to do that and supported me and saying, I got it here. I will handle it. Well, I'll be fine. You know, mm. that is significant. So having someone who supports you is just, it is just the biggest blessing, honestly, that I could ever ask for. Um, and the other, sometimes there, again, you miss out on things. You, you have to say no to things. And you just have to understand that, you know, again, say no to the goods so that you can say yes to the best. 
Um, so. I think in today's society, everyone's like romanticized the whole power couple thing. Um, so what is your take on that? Like what, what would people be surprised to know about what it takes to be part of a quote unquote power couple? Um, yeah, I just hate that term because Me I too. think it's like, yeah, I think it's kind of BS and I think it's pretentious. Like anybody, I don't know. I just, who looks at themselves as a power couple? I think that's interesting. I don't even think, I think Barack and Michelle Obama are so humble that they would never even call themselves a power couple. Right. But mm. of course they are one to other people. So I think, um, well, a, a couple with but, like two highly ambitious and accomplished people. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, honestly, and the whole balance thing annoys me, too. I think it's a lot of it is about integration because balance insinuates that everything gets done and there's, like, some, like, formula to it. It's just not the case, really. You have to, I think, just integrate certain things into your life and know that you're going to miss things sometimes, too, and that's going to be okay. Sometimes there's, there are going to be things at work that you miss, like, for example, the the um, opportunity in Dubai, I said no to that because I was like, I'm not flying halfway across the world, like taking a 20-hour flight, being away from my baby. It just was too much. Um, so sometimes you have to say no to work things, and sometimes you have to say no to home things, right? Like mm-hmm. I, um, you know, would love to kind of – so, for example, next weekend we're celebrating my father-in-law's um, 70th birthday, and my husband and his brothers are throwing this big party for him, and people are coming in town, and um, – I really wanted to like host something at the house and was like, and then I was like, you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm just not, I'm not going to put all that pressure on myself. Like, do I like to cook and do I like to entertain? Yes, but I'm just not doing that. I'm just too much. The baby, it's just too much. So I'm not doing that. We're just going to go to a restaurant and then we'll figure it out. And you know, like a year ago, I totally would have had everybody over and been like, you know, the house queen, but I'm just, I'm being realistic. I'm not doing that. So I think sometimes you have to say no. And, and it may be not the thing you want to do or not the thing to do. And, you know, maybe my mother-in-law will give me the side eye, which is just fine, but it's just life. Mm, yeah. Um, so switching back over kind of to your career, uh, really briefly, uh, a lot of attention I think is being paid to entrepreneurship and, you know, the women, the black women who are exiting yeah. corporate to become entrepreneurs. What has kept you in corporate America? Like, what has kept you? Well, obviously, you love law um, that you mentioned, but what has kept you from making the leap? So, <laughs> I, what has kept me is that I'm a realist. And I think everybody, that's the thing, everybody has to be real with themselves. And it goes back to being authentic. If you can do that, if you're okay with being, you know, the everything by yourself, um, then that's great. I think I'm not that person. Like I mm. need support. Like I need, you know what I mean? I'm not that person that wants to even build from the ground up. Like that's just never been anything that I've desired to do. Mm. Now, a lot of people, they do desire to do it and they're really good at it. I think you have to know what you're good at and know what you're not. And that's just not my skill set. My skill set is, um, doing, I'm able to be successful at what I do and I'm good at what I do. But I know what I need around me to do it. Like, I need the overhead. I need the support. I need the, you know, the the infrastructure. Mm. I, like, stay in my lane. Like, I know what I'm good at, and I know what I ain't. And the <laughs> entrepreneurship thing is just not me. It's not me at all. Um, and then the last question before the lightning round, what is it about the work that you do that brings you the most joy or the most pride? 
I think what I love about energy and what I'm doing a lot now of is like strategic counseling. I'm advising utilities and major energy players on how to basically be successful, how to um, develop a good regulatory strategy, how to make sure that they stay in compliance and, you know, don't get into any issues there. What I love about energy ultimately is that it touches every single person, no matter what you do. And being in Barcelona for the last couple of days really kind of cemented that for me. And literally, it t- energy touches everybody globally. Like no matter what you do, everybody has a cell phone that they need to charge, right, with electricity. Everybody has a house that they need to warm with natural gas. Everybody has a toilet that they need to flush with water. I mean, it's just utilities touch every single person. And I love being a part of something that people and people just, at the end of the day, you cannot live without it. You cannot live without energy and utilities. And I love that it kind of makes the world go round and I get to impact that. Mm. Um, the next series of questions are the lightning round questions. So don't overthink them. It's just the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, what's one piece of career advice that you wish you'd gotten sooner in your career? Be okay with failing. Hmm. What's the career lesson that took you the longest to learn, but has had the biggest impact on your career? Be okay with failing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's one book that you could read over and over again, or that has had the biggest impact on your career? Um, Hmm. Blanking on the name of this book, and I tell people to read it. I think I I know what you're going to say, but I'm not going to say it for you because you told you know you you told me the book. That's exactly the book it is. I know exactly what you want to say. It's executive presence, people. Executive Executive presence. presence, My God. Please forgive me. I'm dealing with jet lag here, but yes, that's exactly the book it is. And I buy that book now. Let me tell you, I buy that book for so many people. Like all of my mentees, I buy that book for. I think it it, that is significant to me. Literally, I asked her for a book, and she was like, no doubt, without hesitation, executive presence. Um, (laughs) So we all know that most career decisions, and you clearly know this, most career decisions are made when you're not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? That I'm diligent, hardworking, and have a great attitude. Hmm. And with that, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today about your career. Um, I took some notes. I don't know why I take notes because these podcasts are recorded, but I want to write it down to remember. So thank you again for your time. This was awesome. Thank you so much for your time and, and your vision in this. This is phenomenal. I told you she was amazing. I mean, Sharina is always fly. If you've ever seen her, um, she's very well put together. Um, she is a mom. She is an executive. She is involved and I just I just think she's phenomenal but we know that I like to end the episodes with my top three takeaways even though there were tons of gems that were dropped I feel like this episode was just for me but the first uh, gem you leave when you're on top so you always want to leave when people are saying good things about you as opposed to the alternative when people can't wait to have you exit and be out the door um the second thing is work like no one is watching but know that someone always is And then lastly, and I think most importantly, you have to decide what kind of person you are and then be honest with yourself if that person could thrive in corporate America as it is today. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, follow us on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder or join our Facebook group also at I Choose the Ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.